Once again, this week, we're going to continue uh, the series in the Minor Prophets, and we're going to look at the book of Jonah. Jonah gets a lot of play on, uh, on nursery room walls, but I don't think it's the Jonah of the Bible, because this ain't about a fish. So let's, uh, let's pray as we open up uh, a book that at least the story may be familiar, and let's see what God has to say through Jonah. Let's pray. Father of grace and mercy, as we open your word again, Lord, we need, we need for you to speak. We need to you, for you to speak to our hearts. We need for you to open our eyes. Lord, we need to understand who we are and who you are and how sweet the gospel is and what it means to live for you in this world. And so, God, speak to us today from your prophet Jonah. I pray that every heart in the room would be convicted and stirred and encouraged by what we see here. So, Holy Spirit, come and bless this time. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, kind of been looking at these minor prophets like short stories, and that's what they are. They're short. That's why they're called minor, right? And last week in Obadiah, we saw the story of God's victorious kingdom, how the Lord will triumph over his enemies. And this week, well, we're going to see the story is one of a persistent Savior, that God persistently loves and saves rebellious sinners. And those sinners are not the people we expect them to be. Those rebels are not the people we expect them to be. Jonah's a little bit different. Jonah doesn't read like a prophecy. The prophecy in this book is actually Jonah's life. Uh, So it's not so much what Jonah says, but what Jonah does, or really what God does to Jonah. So we'll handle this the way we handled some of the others. I'll read a little bit and explain and apply a little bit, and then I'll read a little bit more. So let's start at Jonah 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. So in case it's not clear, God said, go to Nineveh. Now Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. Right? This is before either, if you've been tracking the series at all, this is before any exile has happened, okay? But Assyria uh, would be number one on the list of God's enemies. Nineveh is their capital. God says, Jonah, Nineveh is really evil. I've got a message for you to preach to them, so go this way. And Jonah, in all of his wisdom, says, no, 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 I'm going to go this way to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Like as, Tarshish is as far away this way as Nineveh is this way. Now, 
Jonah knew better. Okay, Jonah, Jonah was a professional prophet. He was familiar with the word. He knew the Lord. He had been raised to fear the Lord. Okay, he's a part of the right people. He's in the church. Okay, um, Jonah was probably familiar with Psalm 139 where David says, Where can I flee from your presence? And then basically he goes on to say, Nowhere. You are everywhere. So what is it that makes Jonah, who knows better, who knows that he cannot run from the presence of the Lord, what is it that makes a man of God run from the presence of the Lord? And before we get really hard on Jonah, I'm just going to go ahead and show you my cards. Jonah is us, okay? Jonah is really meant to be a mirror of us. And sin does a funny thing to us. It creates, well, it creates inconsistency. Because over here is what we know to be true. But then oftentimes what sin does is we live opposed to what we know. We live inconsistent with our belief. Okay? And what that means is that Jonah is clinging to something more than he is clinging to the Lord. And because Jonah is clinging to whatever it is that's making him sin, Jonah, because Jonah is clinging to that, he wants to run away. And you and I both know that, um, well, you can't really run away from God. And so, I imagine, this is just my imagination, so take with it what you will, but um, I imagine God was kind of like a boat on the water. That's your getaway plan? Okay. Storm, right? Verse 4, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty storm on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Here's what you notice. If you read Jonah, if you spend time reading Jonah, that of all the people in this story, the one who should be the hero is Jonah. Right? He's got the resume for it. He belongs to the people of God. He has a good raising, okay? Uh, he's a prophet. He knows the word. He says, even later on, he'll say he fears the Lord. And yet, every time when pitted against somebody else, Jonah comes away the failure. Right here, right? Jonah, Jonah should be on the deck of the ship. And with all of these crazy, unbelieving sailors running around, sailors throwing stuff off the ship, crying out to whatever God they worship. Jonah should say, guys, listen, I know the one true God, so let's gather around, let me tell you about him, and we're going to pray, and we'll see what happens. Right? That's what Jonah should be doing. But Jonah, the prophet of the Lord, has to, is, is asleep, right? And it takes a pagan captain coming down and waking him up and telling him to pray. Jonah's meant to look silly here. Okay? He looks 
silly. The pagan captain is the one who has to convince him to pray so that these people won't die. And so they, they go up on the deck of the ship and they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Right? Now these guys are a little upset. Right? They kind of they mob Jonah. They're like, Who are you? What have you done? Where have you come from? And he tells them. He gives them the whole story. He says, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. Now, that fear is not very impressive thus far. Um, I guess it's easy to fear the Lord when you know there's a storm about to destroy your ship on the sea. And so they say, well, then what, what are we going to do about this? And Jonah says, you know, the only way this is going to stop is if you throw me off. Now, these guys have a conscience, and they say, well, look, we're not, we're not going to kill you. And so they dig in, right? They rode harder. Verse 13, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord. Oh, so now they're praying to the Lord. O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. That phrase in mind, you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. These sailors who have never known Yahweh, have never known the God of Israel before this moment, acknowledge that he alone has the freedom and the authority to do whatever he wishes. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So it looks like Jonah made converts even when he wasn't trying very hard, right? These pagan sailors who a few minutes ago were crying out to any god they thought could help them are now worshiping the one true God. Where is the prophet of the Lord? He's drowning, right? He's on his way to the bottom of the sea, and we read that the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And you may think that this was God's judgment on Jonah, but the fish is actually God's salvation for Jonah. God is not done with Jonah yet. And that tells us something that we're going to see a little bit more later on that tells us about who God is. God could have wiped Jonah off the face of the map. He could have let him go all the way down to the bottom of the sea. But God did not do that. God has plans for Jonah. And so what you have in Jonah 2 is this prayer, this beautiful prayer of repentance where he acknowledges that God is the one who has thrown him into the deep, that this is the place where he belongs, and yet God saves him. Verse 6, chapter 2, verse 6, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. 
Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Now that's Jonah's confession. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And what, he's, what that means is God saves who and when God wants to save. Right? That Jonah does not save himself, that because salvation belongs to the Lord, he chooses to bring Jonah up from the pit. That's Jonah's confession. The question is, has that confession really gotten a hold of him? Right? Does Jonah, does, has that truth gotten a hold of Jonah? Does it own him? We're about to find out. The Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Now, that is usually where the nursery room wall stops. But chapters 3 and 4 are really, in my opinion, the most important episodes of this book. And so, let's see what happens. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Jonah gets another chance. Saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. Jonah doesn't even get all the way through the mission field. He doesn't even get all the way through the city and the message catches fire and the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne. He rose, excuse me. And he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. This is this is mourning. Okay, this is what you would do in the ancient days when you were sorry for something, or when you were mourning something. You would put on sackcloth and you would throw ashes and dirt on yourself, and that was meant to show how you felt. That basically your outward condition is meant to reflect what the inside of you looks like. Okay, and so. He, verse 7 in chapter 3, he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Now what's important for you to notice, for us to notice about Jonah 3, is how quickly this whole city of people who had never known the Lord how quickly they repent, how quickly they turn, and how deeply. 
right? From the king all the way to the cattle, everyone fasts. Everyone puts on sackcloth. Everyone mourns. The city turns from its evil way, turns from its wickedness back to the Lord. Really not even back to the Lord, but to the Lord for the first time. This is one of the most successful uh, revival revivals of all time right here. A whole city like that turns to the Lord, is converted. Right? And Jesus says in Luke 15, verses 7 through 10, that, uh, there, that all of heaven rejoices when sinners repent, when one sinner repents. What about when 120,000 repent? And so heaven is rejoicing over what is happen, happening in Nineveh. And that should be the end of the story. But there is one person who is not rejoicing. Jonah 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, isn't this what I said when I was still in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, because I knew that you are a God, that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. What is Jonah so angry about? So angry that he would run away from the Lord. He's angry that God is gracious. Really, he's angry that God has compassion on people who don't deserve it. Because here's what gripped Jonah's heart. Pride. And its fruit, self-righteousness. Jonah is not mad about God's grace when Jonah receives it. Or to put another way, Jonah is not mad about God's grace when the right people receive it. But not them. God's grace is for us, not them. Them don't deserve it. We do. And that's what what Jonah is angry about. Angry enough to die. Thank God for Jonah's honesty. Right? Who are those people for you? Is it ISIS? Who who is it who is the them that doesn't deserve God's compassion? Who is the last person on the planet that you would want to tell about Jesus because you are fairly certain they would believe and be saved? That's that's where Jonah is. Right? I have a, a friend. This is this is what this is what self righteousness does in your life. Uh, this is what it did to the Pharisees. Okay, Jonah. Jonah looks a lot like the Pharisee from Jesus' story of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18. Okay, and what you have there is two men worshiping, and the Pharisee said, basically his prayer goes like this: God, thank you so much that I am so good, that I do everything right that I worship the right way, that I tithe the right amount, and that I'm not like that guy, that I'm not the tax collector. Lord, I'm not even really... 
He doesn't say this, okay? It's implied. Lord, I'm not even really sure what he's doing in the sanctuary. He certainly doesn't belong here. So I thank you that I'm not like him. All right? That's Jonah. That's the Pharisee. The friend whose uh, five-year-old son, now when they get ready for bed at night, uh, as, they're, as they're putting PJs on and getting ready to go to bed, his son has gotten in the habit of saying, Dad, I didn't get any spankings today. Right? Um, and there's, there's the beginning of a model Pharisee right there. Right? But I, I get it. He's five, so I'm not going to read too much into his motives. But, right? That's, that's, that's really the self-righteous heart right there. It says, I didn't get punished, so I must not have done anything wrong. Right? And so the good dad would say, well, son, were you angry with your brother today when he took your toy from you? Yeah. Did you hit him to get back at him because you were angry at him? Yeah. Did you, uh, did you yell at your mom when she told you to pick up your toys? Did you talk back? Yeah. So you should have gotten some spankings today. Right? The, the little boy who says, hey, Dad, I did a pretty good job. I didn't get spanked today. Right? That's, that's the heart of the Pharisee because it does not realize, realize the, the depth of its own sin. Basically, as long as I don't get noticed, as long as my evil doesn't get pointed out, then I can lay my head down on the pillow at night and say, God, I feel like I did a pretty good job. Thanks for being so, thanks for loving me so much. Right? Is that you? Right? Because if you're a self-righteous person, then like Jonah, you will be a very angry person. You will be very angry You'll be, one, you'll be very pleased with yourself that you kept your standard. I didn't get a spanking today. Right? I said, I said true things mostly. I didn't see any rated R movies. Right? You'll be very pleased with yourself that you kept your standard. And you'll be very displeased, you'll be very angry with other people for not keeping your standard. Pharisees and Jonahs and the self-righteous are very angry and bitter people. And I think it's because deep down they know that they don't measure up. No matter how hard they try, they always come up short. And that's bound to make you angry. That's bound to frustrate you, not only with your own efforts, but also with the failings of other people. Well, let's see what happens to Jonah. <clears throat> Jonah says, back in verse 3, Please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Are you, are you right to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there, a little tent. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a little plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah, who had been exceedingly mad about God's compassion on Nineveh, Jonah was now exceedingly glad 
because of the little plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well? Are you right to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the little plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow. It came into being in a night and perished in a night. And shouldn't I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. So Jonah, right, is, is finally exposed. His heart is revealed. And finally, you would think maybe in the stomach of a fish, that, that might be the moment where you reach the end of your rope, but Jonah had a little bit further to fall, and so now God has him right where he wants him. He's got him baking in the dust outside of Nineveh, right? And he pins him down with this question. Right? Do you, are you right to be angry about a plant? Yes. Angry enough to die. Okay? You pity the plant. You didn't put the seed in the ground. You didn't make it grow. And it was dead in 24 hours. You pity that. Don't I have the right to pity Nineveh? Full of people made in my image. And even, and even their cattle. Aren't their cattle more important than your plant? We don't have the answer to the question. It stops right there. What can Jonah say to that? Well, what we do have is Jonah's story, which means maybe that Jonah realized the depth of his sin, threw himself on the mercy of God, and went back to Israel and told all of those people whom the Lord had called to repeatedly, to repent and turn back to the Lord, Jonah goes back to them and he says, don't be me anymore. Fall on God's mercy. Because see, Jonah is not just about Jonah. It's not just about this pouting, reluctant prophet. It's about his compassionate God who saves not just wicked, murderous Ninevites, but even self-righteous angry Pharisees. God's mercy is for both. Another prophet would be sent. God would send another prophet. And this prophet would come to a whole world full of murderous, evil, wretched people. And he would not balk. And he would not run away. In fact, at every point in his mission, he would say, I've come to do the will of him who sent me. 
And when push came to shove, when all was said and done, he was stripped, he was beaten, and he was hung on a cross. And he was sent down to the depths of the earth. He went into the storm, and just like Jonah going down into the water, he took that storm with him. And what he left behind him was peace. And then he emerged, right, from the belly of the earth, just like Jonah emerged from the belly of the fish. Of course, I'm talking about Jesus, the better Jonah. Are you, are you like Jonah? Good, God-fearing, inconsistent, bitter, angry that God has compassion on those other people? Run to him. Throw yourself on that mercy. Repent. He's for you. Are you like Nineveh? Outside of God's family, outside of the people, you've done lots of bad things. And often bad things against very good people. Repent. Turn from your wicked ways. Return to the Lord. Fall on his compassion. He is for you. He is faithful and just to forgive sins to those who come in the better Jonah, who come in Jesus. Let's pray. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. God, those words are our words. Father, don't let us labor under the assumption that because we have done everything right, that we are perfect. Don't let us labor under the assumption that because we have done everything right, we can stand in the place of judge and executioner. Lord, don't let us be like Jonah. Father, remind us again that, that your relentless compassion pursues us even when we do act like Jonah. It pursues us and it wins us and it brings us home. So Lord, I pray, have mercy on us and may we sing Alleluia to the one who saves us, forgives us our sins. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.